0: This podcast extra is part of your Slate Plus membership.
1: Hello, and welcome to Slate's Game of Thrones podcast, a TV club series that's just for Slate Plus members. I'm June Thomas, and today I'm joined by longtime Slate writer Seth Stevenson. Hello, Seth. Hello, June. And with theatre director and writer and co-author of the slate cover story turned book, The World Only Spins Forward, The Ascent of Angels in America, which is due out in March 2018, Isaac Butler. Hello, Isaac. Hello,
2: June. Hello, Isaac. Hello, Seth.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, it's back, you guys. It's back. Let's begin, eh?
2: As Daenerys said. As
1: Daenerys said. After an hour and two minutes. Right,
2: yeah. Uh, I think they sent a very
0: clear sign that was like, this was all preamble. And if yes. you didn't know this was all preamble, it starts with saying, now we're going to begin.
2: They didn't even set the map.
1: No. Just, the
0: map
2: is just there, ready yeah. to be
0: set. Exactly. Two maps. There's the painted one on the maps. floor. There's a lot of maps. <laughs> this is a uh, game of maps this yeah.
1: week. I'm like, wow, that's the same person, or I guess the same font. Because I saw, I saw, like, the, the notes on the floor. I was like, whoa, same person did the maps. There's
2: <laughs> only one font in Westeros. They That's haven't right. advanced beyond the single fonts. <laughs>
1: Just Westerosi. Yeah. Shall we begin with the first thing we saw, which was Aria as Walder Frey offing, well, all the other Freys. I think that was supposed to be a... Hey, we're back with the killing, and I just find it kind of sad. What did you guys make of it?
0: Well, when it was over, because the you know the first thing you see is Walter Frey, and yeah. you think oh, mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed how it was constructed. Because at first you think, "Oh, is this a flashback?" What's and then yeah. you figure it out about thirty seconds in, and then yeah. you know that that's very satisfying when you figure something like that out before all the other characters do. And I and I should say that when that sequence was over, my wife turned to me and said. I missed this show so much. Oh, wow. uh, so that was that was nice. But I thought it was like a clear sign where they're like, Arya's not fucking around. We're not fucking around. Yeah. Stuff is going to move very quickly. Che- a chess piece are going to be taken off this board. Yeah. You know, get ready for violence. But it was, uh, I mean, it's an act of mass murder. It was hard for me to feel particularly great
1: about it. Yeah. I mean, we've seen this with Arya before. I mean, we, she's a murderer now. She's an assassin. She's a cold-blooded killer.
2: But I don't recall when she would recite her list. Yeah. Did it include the names of like every bannerman of <laughs> yeah. Walter Frey? Did she- it would have been a long well, like, recitation, and yeah. they're minor-aged children. It's, well, it's, anyone
1: old enough to drink, I guess.
2: Yeah, it's like Walter Frey's willing, uh, willing executioners, right? I mean, yeah. did those. I mean, those guys didn't really have a choice. They're following orders. Did they have to be murdered? What kind of signal is she trying to send there?
1: Well, you know, it's true that we know now that Sansa would have opposed her because Sansa and Jon, in a, a scene a little bit later on, Sansa argues for the kill. Actually, no, Sansa would have agreed. Sansa would have agreed with Arya, yes, right? Sansa, Sansa and Arya
2: are on the same team in this. Yeah.
1: Team Stark,
2: yeah, just no, no, uh, no nostalgia, no, no, like just let's move forward and kill, let's right. kill some people.
1: Whereas <laughs> John was more reasonable about like, well, you know, you can't punish the children for the sins of their fathers, but that's kind of the whole theme of this show, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was good that the show eventually hung a lampshade on this. I thought that the, that when you're like, oh, John. You're so good and still so stupid <laughs> and still, you know, do not seem to understand the world you're in, even after you've been killed and brought back to life. And so it was nice to have that moment where Sansa's like, do not make the same mistake that uh, all of the dumb men who constantly surround me on this show, who I am much smarter than, keep making. Uh, and I appreciated they said that. And I th- feel like they underline that John's probably at least tactically wrong by the fact that the people he— you know anoints to run these these castles like they haven't been bar mitzvah yet. they're like you know well, they
2: like tell that to the queen of Bear Island though she's ready to go, yeah,
0: she is, but the other two are like, "Um, sure, we'll fight for you <laughs> after we watch inside out,
2: <laughs> you know it was like. It, I mean, this highlights, the, I think, the coming clash of the show, which is John and Daenerys have some sort of higher purpose for, for, for domination of Westeros, right? John wants to bring back values of loyalty. John has some sort of moral compass that drives him. Daenerys, you know, wants to free the slaves and bring righteous rule, but everybody else is just it's just pure strategic power grabs and and retribution, and yeah. there's just nothing else to it right
0: John, John's whole thing is
2: in a way you know let's let's put aside partisan bickering
0: and solve climate change right that's his yeah. thing it's like there's this exterior threat that is way bigger than this other stuff that's going on. And I don't really care about it, honestly. Like, I don't, you know, he says that line where Cersei's a bajillion miles away. It's only a thousand. I didn't realize Westeros is only a thousand miles from from Winterfell to King's Landing. Yeah, Yeah, I remember reading somewhere that in the books it's meant to be the size of South America or something like that, which would be a lot bigger than that. But
1: also, like, we don't have jet planes and stuff. So it's all, it's gigantic. But yeah, I mean, I did have that feeling of, oh, my God, am I reading the New York Magazine cover story again. Like, <laughs> oh, you make me care about all this stuff. Like, well, I'll die anyway. let It's just so much will we fry or will we uh, be killed by White Walkers?
2: Can we, before we move past the, the opening, the cold open with the with uh, Arya's waterfront, can we just talk about the mechanics of face swapping for a moment? Because <laughs> I am very confused. I thought it was some sort of like mind trick where you make the other people see you as the person. But now it's like this, it looks like this latex Mission Impossible thing where you're ripping the entire- Face, off. face off. and, and f-
1: you do their voice. That's the thing that really gets me. Well, and you
2: imitate their physical bulk. How is yeah. Arya suddenly the size of?
1: <laughs> well, and and the thing that really gets me their teeth. I mean, Walder Frey always had a very distinctive dentition, and she managed to you know get that too. That is some next level face swapping.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, for a show in which they explain like the lineages of yeah. minor characters at, at great length, uh, there is an interesting thing where the mechanics of the magic in this world are never totally explicated, which gives them a nice freedom that whenever they need, I don't know, a character to go somewhere, they can just look in a fireplace and be like, oh, this is the next story <laughs> yeah. beat I need to accomplish. But I do feel like every time they do the the face swapping, it's more and more powerful. Like originally it's like a, an actual face right. that is in a library of faces and there's like a finite number of them and you take them and then you sort of, you know, but now you're right. Now it's like Mission Impossible meets i i don't know like mystique from the x-men yeah. or something i mean it's really uh incredibly but and if you could do that and you were like a teenage girl why would you ride through dangerous countryside as your 13 yeah. year old sure. self?
1: yeah if you're lucky you'll come up against a band of sing-along loving ed sheeran singing you know guys who willing to share their rabbit but that's pretty much your best case scenario right. i agree it's a it's a dangerous world that we're living in. All right, we've done Arya. We've done Jon and Sansa. Sansa, I think, just to kind of summarize, is just over it.
2: And over yeah. Littlefinger as well.
1: Yeah, she, so over she everything. knows what he wants. Littlefinger, I, so one thing that came up for me this week, m- maybe because I took part in the Slate series Worst Person in Westeros, in which uh, a rotating cast talked with Jacob Brogan about who was the worst person in Westeros in the, in the episode. Everybody was so good this Weak. I mean, okay, Arya did the mass murder. <laughs> it's it's and, a low bar. You know, <laughs> yeah. But that was kind of like, I think maybe that was the only bit of, of murdering. Even Littlefinger was woke, you know, kind of admiring Brienne of Toth's swordsmanship. skills. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, everybody's so good and happy and kind and willing to share their rabbits. But we also know that winter is here. So, okay, so what was our next stop on the map of Westeros?
0: Well, we we should briefly mention that they managed to sneak in some Tormund Giants Bane flirting with Brienne, which is always deeply satisfying. Is that yeah. going to go somewhere? I, I have no idea, but I don't need it to go anywhere beyond yeah. Tormund. I mean, it shouldn't go so far that it becomes to feel like harassment, obviously, right, but like Tormund's a little, like, you know, harmless flirtation is is, is kind of fun. I, I feel like the next place we, we go really is King's Landing where we go back to the map that has whatever Westeros' version of, uh, you know, Helvetica 12 yeah. on it. And, um,
2: zap Westeros. Zap, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I feel like this is yet another of many scenes and people seem to mind this, but I just think this is how Game of Thrones is written now, where two characters exposit and clearly explain what their value systems are yes. to one another, yeah. and then the scene just kind of ends. Right? It's like, well, my value system is we should kill everyone, and the, you know, and then they then they move on.
1: But you know, does Jamie say what his is? It seems like it's another. Like Sansa saying, "I'm just over this without He's over saying it. as much." Yeah. It's like, what's
2: the point now? Our children are dead. There's no dynasty to con- to continue here. Why, you know, why are we doing this? Why don't we just live happily ever after? We, maybe we could go down to Dorne and just chill and drink wine. Like right. why are we? Why do we need to? Oh, why all the murdering? Yeah. Right. But this is like a recurring. I find I, I've noticed in this episode, it's the women who are. Fierce, and yeah. it's often the men who are like, "Chill, let's let's relax a little here. Why do we need to murder so much?" And, right. the, and the women are like, "No, no, 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 no time for kindness. Yeah, it, it's time for 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 killing."
1: You know, I wonder too about the whole thing with like the the Lannister dynasty being over. Yeah, Cersei's not going to have any more children, but. You know, her children didn't count in a certain sense. You know, in the in the way of of hereditary.
2: Oh, controversial I know. position. Jim. I know,
1: but you know, I think probably quite true in the Game of Thrones uh, universe. But Jamie and Tyrion could still father children, and they're the ones that count in this world. So I feel like either that was a, um, or is it kind of you know setting sowing of seed, so to speak. Or maybe just to remind – I don't know. Maybe, I sh- maybe I'm maybe i trying too hard to, to find some controversy like here. Jamie
2: doesn't seem very interested in fathering future heirs. Yeah. Does he? That doesn't, he seems pretty locked in on Cersei and he doesn't seem to care about – Sowing seeds, if you will. Uh So the
0: thing that I've always found interesting about the series, particularly in the books, is there's this like heroic love for the ages that will withstand all tests and trials. But it's a brother and sister, Mm -hmm. right? You know, but and because of that, it leads them to these greater and greater crimes. And the thing that I appreciated about that scene is that there's a certain sense between the two of them that they know that they're doomed I mean their line is doomed right Mm -hmm. so to a certain extent they know they're doomed and then the question is sort of like well how are we gonna go out and Jamie as you said is like I think going quietly into that good night seems like a really good like people are hungry let's just like go back to farming and rule these three kingdoms that we have left and Cersei's like no F that Uh, as we all know reigning for a thousand years has a really good record only good guys want to (laughs) reign for a thousand years so I want to reign for a thousand years and we're just gonna reconquer everything. And the benefits to the populace are ev are evidence. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which is I think another thing that, you know, the show is underlining here is that it's the small folk who face the consequences of being they're not even pawns, they're like, you know, tiny, tiny pieces on they a table. They end
2: board. up as skeletons in the corner of a room who get right. buried in the like, yeah. a small act of kindness right. by the hound.
1: Well, no, we haven't yet mentioned Circe's new suitor. Uh you run Greyjoy. Who again I think seemed to he seems really right for Cersei because he managed to shock Jamie with his like admiring Jamie's killing skills and then just mm. says, Dude, I was killing your people and he essentially says, The place is getting crowded. You oh, know, and, like, and
2: a ribald boast, June. I have two good hands, Cersei. <laughs> exactly. Two yeah. good
1: hands. yeah, exactly. <laughs> did
2: he did he not look like like Pacey of Dawson's Creek He's and Josh totally Joshua Jackson, so did he?
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's a Danish Pacey.
2: Also, he you know that he's like
0: a cunning, rakish bad guy because he did that thing where he tilts his head to his side when he does line <laughs> readings, which is how yeah. you know. Kind on, of like uh, a
2: half curtsy. It's like a, its yes, it's like a Han Solo, Jim Morrison leather thing that he has. Yeah, it's they like, really were like,
0: he's a rock star. Yes. Even though he's been on a boat, like he's a Viking who's been on a boat and hasn't taken a shower in presumably a month. You know, he is this, we're going to dress him like uh, Keith Richards or, you know. But he, Jagger or something.
1: But he also represents not only a man with two hands and that kind of potency, but also sea power. You
2: he know? does have nautical power. He's
1: got nautical power. And now I know you're a seafaring man, Seth. So did it just kind of make your heart beat faster when well, he talked about his sea power?
2: It's sort of unclear what role naval power is going to play in Westeros. This is, this is what I'm curious about. It doesn't seem like naval power has traditionally been the way to win Westeros, as far as I can tell. The other thing I want to say as as this podcast maritime consultant, <laughs> I would like to point out every time we see a fleet of ships, like, you know, moving towards a harbor, it's always in exactly the same array, first of all. And they're always on a straight downwind run. The wind is always exactly at their backs, with the with sails unfurled straight ahead, just on a straight downwind. Run. Never a beam reach. Certainly never close hauled, like tacking into the wind. Never. The wind is always. A, and I, I was trying to figure out: Is it just that the prevailing winds here are from Essos to Westeros every time, and they're always they're sailing that direction? But no, because when I thought about it, the 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 fleet that went over to Daenerys, um, with Theon, that fleet was going. Um, west to east, towards Essos, and yet still when we saw the shot of them, the wind was straight at their backs. It's like always fair winds for these folks. Whenever they, whenever you get up a huge fleet, a massive armada, the wind is always at your back always in this at world. Their
0: backs. So if Benioff and Whites are listening to this, the people cry out for a beam reach.
2: Yeah, a beam <laughs> reach, or or I would like to see some close haul. Let's see them, you know, head up into the wind and, and, and try and take some swells or something, just like something. It's always like calm seas, following winds, Every single time. I'd like to see a little more naval action.
0: I am not a nautically minded. Man, but it did seem to me that the boats are very close together. Would you feel that they're too like if, if yes, an errand be
2: more widely
0: spaced, right? Like, like they they're about be, as
2: far away as you and I are from from one another. There's a I feel huge like, wind shadow when there's about 50 boats behind you with the wind coming from behind you and all those massive sails unfurled. The the boat, lead boat would get no wind. No wind can get through all there. It doesn't make any sense. Wow. I'm also unclear on how this <laughs> is going to keep going. No. I'm unclear. on Twenty how, minutes of <laughs> boat complaints. How does naval combat work in this world? Because they don't have cannons. So it's just strictly about ram and board. That's all, I guess you well, you have to be pretty darn close for an arrow to work from ship to ship. Well, I guess that would work. But it's basically about ramming and boarding. I don't know. I would like to see a naval battle. That's all I'm seeing. And it seems like we could potentially have a naval battle with Daenerys' force and to. with Euron's yeah. force. Maybe that – I would. I mean that's what I'm crossing my fingers for.
1: Well, he's looking – you know, Euron's looking for a gift to woo Cersei. So maybe yeah. something naval. Maybe this something maritime. This has been Maritime
2: I, Minute. I, I believe like – Maritime Four Minutes. I
0: believe – Yeah, I believe <laughs> – I believe Yoren's idea is to is to raid from ships rather than to because atta- Daenerys has already landed by the end of the episode, right? So I think the idea is a la the Vikings, right? They they ride up on something, they invade it, they destroy everything, they harry the troops and destroy everything, and then they retreat back on the boats.
2: And sure, go but away. if you could dominate the seas, you could you could do a naval blockade. You could keep all right. of those ships full of Dothrakis in the harbor there with the deep moorings that they have at Dragonstone. I'm I would I would have revolutionized the way that you. <laughs> you conduct warfare in Westeros.
1: Well, you mentioned Dragonstone, which n- not to jump too far to the end. Although Danny's like scene at the end, as you said, really was like the beginning that somehow they shoved at the end. But that reminds me of Samuel Tarly's scene, which was after the cold open, the most stirring and gross and, and shocking montage. The, he's got some terrible duties there at the Citadel. Terrible he's, duties. Yeah, he, he's <laughs> yeah. on, uh, you know, gruel and. Diarrhea. I and Jorah used... Mormont.
2: He's on Gruel and Jorah Mormont. <laughs> right. and Grayscale. Yeah. I, I could have used maybe twelve to fifteen seconds less fecal matter. Yeah. In yeah. that montage. Yeah. Yeah. Not unnecessary.
0: There was maybe a mate, perhaps the person sitting next to me on the couch began checking their email. <laughs> but I also what I appreciated about that was that there was actually some Uh, visual and editing creativity in terms of how they were telling the story, which I think is often lacking. Like I said, a lot of Game of Thrones, and I I don't mind this, this is just the vocabulary they've come up with, is, you know, two people expositing in a scene in which actually nothing actually happens and then there's some action and you know that's sort of how the show works and so for them to kind of borrow it was missing the like uh, Mexican hip hop of Breaking Bad but for (laughs) them to borrow that kind of vocabulary from Breaking Bad to show the repetition of his days and to use editing to enforce that I was just pleased that like it was actually creatively put together yeah it
1: was it did feel very unusual to get a montage in Game of Thrones but I just wish it had been something a bit more palatable (laughs) than dinner and diarrhea and the fact that we really couldn't tell the difference between those two. Things.
2: Is that the first time that they foregrounded technique or foregrounded editing? I, I don't think I've seen them use that as like a, an upfront voice in the show before. It did feel new to me in the same way that bringing in contemporary instruments with the
0: piano and mm-hmm. the the beautiful piano in the finale, like those moments where they sort of break their usual vocabulary are, I think, really lovely. And I would love it if they did it more, frankly. Yeah.
1: Well, maybe in this final season that is beyond Martin, maybe we'll get a bit more of that. But let's let's talk about when Sam wasn't serving up slop or clearing out bedpans. He was finding a sneaky way to get at those books and, well, hey, passing, you know, just flipping through next to his woman and his child. Uh, he just happens to see a map that makes him realize that, oh, hey, Dragon Home is the home of dragonglass.
2: Yeah, well, you probably could have guessed that. Basically. But <laughs> it's if, a clue in the name. If, if, yeah, right, so he opens the book and he sees that there's a, there's a lot of dragonglass buried in dragonstone. But if I recall correctly, slash if the website I looked at is correct, <laughs> did, it, did not Stannis tell him Oh, Samuel. There's a, there's a lot of dragon glass where I live in Dragonstone. Uh-huh. I, like it's like he forgot that and then he rediscovered it.
1: After he yeah, cleared down a lot of bedpans.
0: Yeah. That,
2: that was I,
0: that was mentioned in some other review of the episode that I briefly glanced at. Was that that was true? Which seems weird. They tried to kind of make it seem like it was more work. Uh, Gilly has that line at the beginning where she's like, "You've got to sleep sometime. Yes, You've been staring right, at that book. Right. You know, they have to be very efficient with their time." I understand the reason is to create stakes and risk and possible consequences for Sam for doing this. But I did think it was weird that the books that are locked away are not books about necromancy or summoning Cthulhu or, or you know, whatever. They're face just face
1: swapping or
0: face swapping. They're not books where the knowledge itself is dangerous. No. They're ju- just nor are they fragile. Nor right. You know, they're not like it's not like the rare book room, you know, where you have to put on the cotton gloves. Right. It is actually just. That the maesters understand they live in an information
2: economy, and so they, you know, create artificial scarcity to right. give themselves right. power. There's always a velvet rope to yeah. get behind for more. But yeah, it's like it's like a simple it's a simple mineral deposit, and it's just like here's where this <laughs> mineral deposit is. Why is that secret information in a book that uh, is called something like The Legends of the Dragons? Who does you know? what's the Dewey Decimal System like at the Citadel? Because it seems like he should have just been able to look in the card catalog under right. Dragon Glass and been like, here's the book about Dragon Glass. Here, where here's where the huge deposits of Dragon Glass are. Someone needs to yeah. revolutionize the way they handle information there.
1: Yeah, Maybe somebody who could also, up, you know, upturn the whole maritime law. I have a lot of
2: civic improvements, I'd <laughs> like to, a lot of municipal improvements I'd like to bring to this world. And we should also
0: mention, of course, that it is wonderful that Game of Thrones is providing yet another aging British character actor with a regular oh, yeah. paycheck. In this case, yeah. the wonderful, uh, brilliant, brilliant Jim Broadbent.
1: There's something about that, though, where he basically had one scene, right? Well, he, he might was, come back. Presumably yeah, he, he'll return. Yeah, no, but exactly. But you're like, so an Oscar winning or at least Oscar nominated actor is cutting up someone who we don't even see who it is. And that's the message. Like, yes, of course, it signifies we'll be back. But it's a right. little bit annoying also. Uh,
0: yeah. I think Jonathan Price's performance over the you know episodes that he was on is mm-hmm. probably the best. Performance in the entire show. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really think he was amazing because he did so much so simply and as so the casually as the high sparrow. And so no, Jim Broadbent has not been given that opportunity yet. Again, he was another character I had to walk on and be like, the value of a <laughs> classical education is this, and then leave. But I was happy to I was happy to see him. I'm
1: yeah.
0: I hope we'll be seeing him more over the next coming weeks because I just I love Jim Broadbent. So, he, so much. he
2: represents the anti-declines view that it has always been thus, and everything's always going to be fine, and just yep. relax, Samuel, and just let's cut up our bodies here and just do our thing. But I will, presumably he will be brought around and somehow join Samuel yeah. in some kind of mission. Except to bring.
1: the thing that essentially that he needs to be corrected on is we've always survived winter, so how would you prove that wrong? Not survive winter? I mean, uh, the
0: wall falling is what what uh, I assume,
1: uh, Will, because uh, yeah.
0: the wall is the show has the show made because the book makes this point very explicit. The walkers cannot actually. Cross the wall. Yeah, it's because you remember, Benjamin made,
1: right? made that clear because yeah. he couldn't take Bram.
0: So the wall has to fall at some point over the next couple you know yeah. over the next few seasons
2: i mean we have what 1.5 seasons left or whatever yeah. but it's it's anti-global warming because it's it's getting colder right winter is coming winter it's getting coming. much colder which presumably would solidify the ice wall rather than you know the way to destroy the wall would be to melt it yeah warming yeah. The, books the books
0: those... have already telegraphed how that's going to happen that oh. there's like a norse like like in the norse mythology there's like a mythical horn that blows and the wall will crumble god it's
1: all right, so we had a bit of lot of light business with the Hound, but that was kind of too boring to really go into. What is I the think? purpose
2: of the Hound here? Is the Hound going to be some messianic figure? So it was like the Hound on the road to Damascus, right? right? In this episode where he has this conversion, he sees in the flames, he's becoming a better person. But what role is he play? He's just one man. What role is yeah. he playing this unless he becomes some sort of messianic figure who draws people to his Vision for the world. I don't understand what really, he's doing there.
1: really, really hard to imagine. Because he's, he's still a grump, and he'll always be a grump. And
2: June, what kind of worshipper would you be in West? Would you be? Would you worship the Lord of Light, or the Old Gods, or 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 something else? I do
1: like a tree. I like those red leaf trees. So I think I'd be an Old Gods person. What about I, yourself, Seth?
2: I like the Old Gods as well. I like the Old Gods. I, I, the I did, Lord of Light doesn't do it for me.
1: I do love. I did love seeing the hound light like, try and go through, and he's like, "Ah, oh, fuck it," you know. There's the mother. There's the oh, I can't remember, bugger it, you know. Yeah. I
0: feel right. like I wouldn't be a particularly sincere believer in any of them. Yeah. I'd just sort of be like – like for holiday. I'd be like a holiday
2: old guy right. or yeah. whatever. Even I'd be for like, like the sparrow. Like you would just like holiday sparrow.
0: Holiday, yeah. I'd sort of like, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I'd, I'd probably be like, wait, is today the crone feast or the <laughs> – yeah. I'll
2: show up at the Sept if it's a big event.
0: Yeah. You know. Whichever which faith, which faith has more feasts with better food is the one that I'm going to go <laughs> and for. I'm and I'm certainly
1: I'd... not getting my head cut up. I'm not doing that. That's that's crackers.
0: That's, that's a step beyond.
1: That's bananas. All right. It's the time in the episode, I believe, where we decide who is the worst person in Westeros. You're the worst shit in the Seven Kingdoms. There's plenty worse than me. And I'm going to start with you, Seth. Who who was your worst person in Westeros this week?
2: Well, June, I saw that in your conversation with Jacob Brogan, you yeah. eventually settled on Ed Sheeran as the mm. worst
1: person.
2: <laughs> Simply you know? because it's Ed Sheeran. Because it's Ed Sheeran. <laughs> and I will say that cameo did bring me out of this yeah. carefully created medieval or, you know, fake medieval universe that I'm, that I'm bathing in. And then there's Ed Sheeran's dumb face making kind of a little uh, show, like body. a meta joke about this is a new song that I've written. haha. Uh, and so I did resent his presence in the episode and he is not a good actor and i hope he And won't. he
1: actually didn't act he sang and then he was silent he didn't say, Reaction he didn't shots. have any lines yeah
2: didn't find the song that great either no, got to say no. but he's in love with the shape of you so <laughs> Well, That was was a tense scene though. I I did feel Arya might be in peril the whole time. So I liked that aspect of it. I guess Littlefinger was really annoyed me. Uh, I find him so so gross and slimy and and his intentions are unclear. And I hate hate that about him. Mm -hmm. I think Arya has definitely got to be in contention. I mean, she killed, you know, more people than anybody else, mm-hmm. right? Uh, mm-hmm. I would I would I would say she's got to be in there. But I'm going to say the worst person in Westeros is Stannis Baratheon for leaving Dragonstone completely empty when he left and not, didn't even lock the door.
1: <laughs> exactly.
2: Did they show up and it's just like empty beautiful castle on this island? Why didn't someone that's great real estate. Why didn't someone else go there? Why didn't he leave a guard? Why didn't he lock the door? Yeah. When they showed up, why weren't why weren't like Westerosian newspapers piled up at the door? <laughs> In the a driveway. cat, cat sitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that I'm going to say Stanis Baratheon, because that's just a dumb move, just leaving it empty like that.
1: Word, word. That's a deep cut, set. Impressed, yeah. impressed.
2: I want to hold out one thing and say
0: the best person in Westeros oh, wow. is whoever is Game of Thrones' location scout. Because oh goodness, the so shots, particularly uh, as they lead up to the... To the castle, yeah. you know the every yes. single one of those locations just was go so wonderful. Dragonstone, yeah. what a
2: beautiful spot! And exactly. Nobody's even using it.
0: Yeah, exactly. I exactly. think it's supposed to be more miserable in the the source material. <laughs> okay. you know, but, but but either but that was so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I am just going to apply the simple rubric of who murdered the most people. Oh. That seems like a very clear way to do it, and the answer there is is Arya. I also read that scene around the campfire very differently than anyone else I know. So I'm, I'm willing to say Please. that I'm probably wrong. Which is that she was looking for an excuse to kill them. She was asking oh. them what they were up to. She saw whose bannermen oh. they were. And she was looking to figure out whether or not she should murder them. And then when they offer her the rabbit and they start cracking jokes and stuff, she's like, eh, I'll let these guys live. Which is a certain, because I think you know, uh, you don't murder that many people and maintain a good soul. Right. Do you know what I mean? So and I so feel when like... She,
1: when they said, what are you up to, and she says I'm going to kill the Queen, she kind of wanted them to go for their swords mm. so she could have a, a battle with them?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, well, I think there she was just kind of testing them or having... I think mm. by then she had decided mm-hmm. not to because they, you know, you because know, they're all talking about their lives and they, they're clearly, you know, innocents in this thing and they don't seem like they've even actually fought at all. Um, but I, I I, think in that scene, part of the tension is maybe she's in danger, but maybe, maybe she is the danger. Yeah. Yes. You know, and so I, I despair for Arya's, uh, uh, not that I believe in a soul, but I despair for Arya's soul. Yeah. And uh, I'm wondering if the show is going to explore that more. If, if one of the things that will be heartbreaking over the next few episodes or the next, se- whatever this we're calling this two part season, uh, will be uh, some heartbreak about her. I like
2: that. She, Arya as just blood simple. Yeah, she's, yeah. Yeah. And and she is. she's just pure vengeance. She has no other guiding principles, just pure vengeance for yep. what's happened to her family. No higher nothing. She doesn't want anything better for anybody else. Which
0: gives her a certain clarity that
2: right, other characters exactly. lack, which Sometimes is very compelling, the, but The Hound has become a better person than Arya. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 My only hope for Arya, who I adore, is that she'll be reunited with Nymeria, who as I recall is still alive as far as we know, right? And I think maybe being reunited with her direwolf would would uh, kind of bring back her heart but I also think it would make me so terrified for like the coming gloom that I would have to start watching the show out of fear of, of having my heart broken I'm gonna go you, you know your your West people were so good mine's dumb I'm just gonna say the chef at uh, at the Citadel because <laughs> because that was gross I mean I understand that like in all of the passing downs of of knowledge whether it's you know medical students having to stay up for three days straight in order to, you know, join the guild. But it does seem a particularly pointless apprenticeship in the Citadel. Sam needs to read some books about dragonglass and you have him being... You know, essentially an orderly, and it just seems like an awful waste.
2: What about the alchemy of cooking? I mean, this is the the center <laughs> to, of all no, right? Rosian knowledge, and nobody thought but to like learn about spices right. or something. You know, exactly, I, like...
1: or even something to coagulate the gruel. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we'll be back next week to discuss episode two of the first part of season seven. Uh, thank you, Seth. I'll be talking to you next week. Thank you, June. And thank you, Isaac. Thank you, June. We'll be back next week. Isaac Butler, Isaac Butler, Isaac Butler, Isaac Butler. Isaac butler. My Isaac my butler. I know. Stevenson. Stevenson. Stevenson.